Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. Yes, we are. We're doing a fake Pokemon card episode in light of um, events recently with the whole uh, fake Pokemon card scandal on the Internet and the uh, total um, reboot of all of these Pokemon card values out there. Um, I think I think we should do this episode just in case you do want to get into the financial game here of Pokemon cards Um it's good to know whether they're fake or not uh, when you do receive them or when you are looking at them to purchase them. So I'm just going to tell you a story here to start things off. I think this is a good starting point for this episode. So the Pokemon market flashed into the mainstream on October 9th when rapper Logic paid a record-breaking $183,812 for a rare Charizard. So Maybe some of you guys don't know who this Charizard is, but it's one of the most uh, sought-after Pokemon cards, especially a uh, a very like early one, holographic. Okay, so, anyways, that uh, acquisition uh, gave the team at the Dumb Money YouTube channel, which I'd never heard of, um, Dave Hansen, Chris Camillo, and Jordan McLean, an idea. Okay, the team proposed to purchase an unopened box of first edition Pokemon cards, 36 packs in all, for $375,000 from a group led by Jake, JB the Crypto King, Greenbaum, so that's his nickname, probably a well-earned one, no doubt, a cryptocurrency speculator, okay, that's his title. So, the speculator is closely associated with Logan Paul. Uh, which you may know from making many uh, mistakes via online um, interactions and things like that. So recently spent $200,000 on a box of Pokemon cards. Once opened and verified as authentic, the team at Dumb Money would tuck the box away for one year. Then, live on stage in Las Vegas, they planned to throw the world's largest Pokemon investor party, according to Camilo. Okay, Camillo. Um, the plan was to auction off the packs individually and to donate a portion of the cards to collaborators with all the proceeds going to charity. As long as it's a non-political charity, said Camilo, we will donate 100% of the money to charity. When they cracked open the box, inside was an assortment of packs, not all of which were first edition, and some which had already been opened, which was a clear fake, resealed to look like the real thing. So, seller Greenbaum, who had demanded he be paid in cash, said he had no idea he was in the possession of fake. Um, This is why most things need to be PSA and BGS graded, um, which is a authentication and grading surface. Uh, a service and then Beckett grading service as well, which validates cards and their condition uh, for a fee, but that was not done here. So that is an instance of why we're even talking about Pokemon cards now and the authenticity of it. Um, so it's important to know that story because you may be hearing about, um, 
this probably not from your CPA, probably not from your active brokering uh, accounts. They're probably not going to tell you to get into this. Uh, Bitcoin seems to be pretty hot right now. So that's kind of a a story right now that just kind of sparked this episode. So just like anything else we talk about, I want to jump into the history of the Pokemon Media franchise. Okay. What is this? If you're not familiar with it, I want, um, you may know it by Pokemon, um, as maybe mothers and fathers have called it over a decade or so. So, um, let's jump into this. Yeah. So it spans over two decades, uh, from when work began officially on the first game till now. And it has roots actually even older than that, but we're going to stick within that because I think that's more the U S version of it. Um, obviously there were, it, it went by other names beforehand and all this stuff. So it started simply enough as a hobby of Satoshi Tajiri. And I'm, I think I'm saying that right. Who, um, as a child had a fondness for catching insects and tadpoles near his home in suburban Tokyo. Over time, Tajiri decided to put his idea of catching creatures into practice to give children the same thrills he had as a child. So he wanted to throw it into a game realm so people didn't have to actually go out and you know do it themselves. Or maybe they didn't have access to it and he's giving this, um, I guess, hobby of his to the world. So the first Pokemon games, Pokemon Red and Green versions, came to the Nintendo Game Boy system in Japan of February 27th, 1996 which was the fulfillment of Satoshi's Tajiri's dream and allowed people of all ages to catch, train, and trade 151 creatures. Um, Note that they called them creatures and not Pokemon and become a Pokemon master. Okay. Initially, the Pokemon games had modest sales, so it was not an instant success, but as you can tell, it's a national nationwide, national, worldwide craze now. So initially the Pokemon games did have modest sales, but they obviously jumped up later. However, after players discovered Mew in the game. So Mew was a creature in there that was very rare to catch or yet alone find. Um, And then the magazine Coro Coro announced a legendary Pokemon offer to distribute Mew to 20 entrants. The contest received 78,000 entrants and the sales of Pokemon games quickly increased after that. So it kind of blew up overnight because of that. So due to the high sales, Pokemon Red and Green were swiftly followed up with a Pokemon Blue, which had improved graphics and sounds which, you know, look, you know, by today's standards, of course, you know, it's not exactly up to where we're at now. But if you do look at red and green and then blue, the it's an astronomical difference. I mean, not today by our standards, but I remember even playing those games and wow, it was quite the jump. So after the games, a Pokemon trading card game was developed by Media Factory with its own set of rules. The first set of cards was released on October 20th, 1996, containing 102 cards and became very popular. You guys may remember this uh, when you were young, just cards everywhere. Burger King had like an active trading card day that you'd go there and trade cards, eat wonderful Burger King food and be merry. So uh, that was part of my childhood. I remember that. So that was... It was cool to get to read about the history of this. I didn't really know a lot about it. And I think the fact that it became a card game afterwards, I was surprised by. I thought it was actually a card game. Then they made into a video game. So actually it was first a video game, then into the card game. So in October 1996, the Pokemon franchise made its first foray outside of the video game genre with the release of its much anticipated Pokemon trading card game. The game was then released in America in December of 1998. 
The principle behind the game was simple. So we're going to jump into what makes Pokemon fun. Like what even makes it valuable. Okay. So each player acted as a Pokemon trader and assumed their position on the board. Each player had to pick a set of cards from the deck and attack the other player's Pokemon with one of his cards. Once a Pokemon has sustained enough damage, it would be knocked out of the game. Each set of card had to contain at least one basic Pokemon. A basic Pokemon is a Pokemon that hasn't gone through any evolution yet. These are the only types of Pokemon that were allowed to start off the game. Evolved Pokemon, on the other hand, could only be played against a lower level Pokemon. As Pokemon evolved, their power percentage became higher and their attack were also stronger. Baby Pokemon cards, which were another version of basic Pokemons, made their apparition in Neo Genesis. Their powers were unusual and they could cause devastating attacks even if they had lower HP. All these various types of cards brought variety to the gameplay and made the game kind of more interesting overall. Other cards that were essential to the game were energy cards and trainer cards. Energy cards were cards that were attached to characters and had different properties. Trainer cards, on the other hand, could be used to perform a series of actions in the game. For instance, a card that could be used to re-energize a Pokemon or remove health from an opposing Pokemon. So that just kind of brings you through the game style. I actually never played that uh, way. We just kind of, you know, played a simplistic version of that. I didn't know that you could do like a whole, like, I mean, essentially you're kind of playing through the game in a sense. You're starting, you know, with basic Pokemon and then, you know, evolving them up and, you know, going through these long role-playing styles kind of. So, Let's take a quick break. I know that's kind of some dry stuff. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back. So I thought we'd fill the break today with some very interesting Pokemon facts. So actually the first Pokemon ever drawn was a Rhydon, which is the ground type Pokemon. Um, And when you do see Rhydon statues in the Pokemon games, it's kind of a little tribute to it. So some people think that Pokemon is a Japanese word. However, it's not. Pokemon is actually a contraction of Pocket Monsters, which is the name of the original game in Japan. So kind of an interesting thing about Pikachu, okay? There's a boy and a girl Pikachu, and you actually tell at a quick glance which one is which. The boys have a sharp-edged tail, and the girls have a sweetheart shape. This is kind of an interesting uh, factoid. So Mew and Ditto are both pink, weigh 8.8 pounds, and are genderless and can use their move transform to take on the form of another Pokemon. So a lot of people think that they are one and the same. Ditto is a failed Mew, okay? I thought that was kind of an interesting one. So guys, let's get back into the episode here. And we're back. So we went over what makes Pokemon fun. Um, Why did we get involved in this in the first place? Okay, we went over that. But now I want to jump into some of the most expensive cards out there. Um, I know these are just pieces of, you know, cardboard or thicker paper with prints on them. But what makes these you know, sail into the 10,000s per card. So we're going to jump into, you know, 10 very expensive cards. So number one is first edition holofoils. Okay. Pokemon's holofoil cards were first released decades ago when the game got its first start. There are Japanese and English versions of these cards. And some of the most valuable are holofoils from the generation one series. Some of these cards have non-holofoil counterparts, which uh, while others do not. A full set of Pokemon Holofoils from the first series was auctioned off 
for 8,496. Now there has been, um, you know, much higher ones and much lower ones, but that's the average I could find was 8,496 for, uh, for an auctioned mid, uh, mid grade, I guess, um, holofoil. So number two, we got first edition Charizard cards. These, um, have kind of fluctuated over time as you, you know, the, um, the logic one we talked about earlier went for a lot of money. So Charizard, Charizard or Lizard, Lizardon, um, as, it, as the character is known in Japan, uh, is one of the most well-known characters in the Pokemon universe. It made its first appearance in the Pokemon Red and Blue video games and has since shown up in various spinoffs, the Pokemon anime series and on trading cards. Since Charizard is such a fan favorite, it's no surprise that owning cards featuring the character tend to be just a little more valuable than others. So the older the card and the better the condition, the more money you stand to make. Each first edition Charizard can sell for about $575. So that's the average. Obviously, there's there's things outside of that. So Jumping to three, a mint condition crystal card. When Pokemon introduced Aquapolis in 2002, it also brought forth crystal Pokemon. The type of changes that crystal characters can undergo gets a bit complicated. If you're not familiar with the game, but suffice it is to say crystal cards in the Pokemon game are hot items. So the highest amount that a full set of mint edition Pokemon crystal cards was auctioned for is $9,875. The particular auction included Japanese and English versions of this card. So that's a lot of money for some cards, $9,875. Jumping into four, the Tropical Mega Battle Cards. I would definitely recommend, if you guys want to look these specific cards up, just to kind of get a visual component of it, I definitely would do it. They're very interesting. So the Tropical Mega Battle Cards. Once the Pokemon trading card game started gaining immense popularity, the franchise decided to hold championships. Championships were... Players from around the world could duke it out in one venue. The Tropical Mega Battle hosted the best Pokemon players from the U.S., Canada, Latin America, Japan, and Europe at the Hilton Hawaiian Village. The Pokemon Tropical Mega Battle was held each year from 1999 to 2001, and it was a huge deal. About 50 players got the chance to compete at each battle. And in 2002, the Tropical Mega Battle was replaced with the annual Pokemon World Champions, which... I actually wanted to look up to see if that still exists. I'm not sure it does. So promo trader cards were created for each Tropical Mega Battle. If you have one from the first competition in 1999, you could sell it for thousands as only 12 were made. A mint condition 1999 Tropical Mega Battle card can net $10,000 or more at an auction. So if you've got one of those, if you were one of those lucky people, you could be making some mad coin on that so number five japanese parent slash child mega battle cards the kangaskhan kangaskhan or parent child mega battle card was a pokemon tournament held in japan in may 1998 kids teamed up with their parents to compete in the trading card game with other families and those who won enough games were rewarded with an exclusive promotional card. The Pokemon Parent slash Child Mega Battle card is one of the small handful that still have a set symbol featuring the Pocket Monsters trading card game logo. This game has been collectible for well over a decade and a mint condition one can sell for at least $10,000. Okay, jumping into six, 
the pre-release Raichu card. So if you know anything about Pokemon, Raichu is the uh, evolution after Pikachu, which is like one of the most well-known characters. So Raichu is a cute little mouse on the outside, but has some electrifying abilities in battle. The Raichu evolves from Pikachu that's been exposed to a thunderstone. And it also represents the final Pichu form. If you have no idea what that means, just know this. One of the most valuable types of Pokemon cards featuring the character, the pre-release Raichu card. Only 15 are still available in the entire world and are worth more than 10,000. Okay, number seven. This is more of the newer cards. Um, And when I say that, I mean like 2009, 2008, 2007. So if you know the original 151, this may go over your head. Um, I don't know a lot of the new ones, but Piplup. Turtwig and Munchlax promo cards. So just six of each were handed out in their issue years. And owning the trio means you have a group of cards worth at least $14,000. And each individual card can be sold for $4,500 or more. So jumping into number eight, Pokemon Snap cards. Pokemon Snap was an N64 game. Uh, Pokemon characters have been featured in numerous video games, including Pokemon Snap, which was released for Nintendo 64 in 1999. In May 1999, Coral Coral Comic, which is someone we mentioned before, which was a Japanese magazine with close ties to the Pokemon community, starting a photo contest. Contestants were asked to take photos from a Pokemon Snap and submit them to the publication. The top five entries were featured on Pokemon Expansion Pack reprints. It's not certain how many of these cards are still in existence, but they often sell for several hundred to many thousands of dollars depending on the condition. The highest amount that a Pokemon Snap card sold for was $15,989. So if you've got one of those, you know, Either hold on to it or sell it because that's a lot of money just sitting around. Number nine, Japanese LP promo cards. The Pokemon Legend game brought about LP promotional cards, which used to be called DPTP cards. Uh, The name change made identifying the cards much less confusing. So LP cards were issued in Japan and 79 different ones were produced. The most prized LP card is the Master Key and only 34 of or so of those cards still exist. A complete set of the 79 LP cards, including the Master Key, was auctioned for 84788 Any individual card on its own can easily fetch $7,000, depending on its condition. The Master Key is the most valuable and can definitely sell for over $10,000. Okay, the last one I've got here is number 10, Pokemon Pikachu Illustrator Card. So this looks like an item card. The Pokemon card of all Pokemon cards features the franchise's most iconic and recognized character, Pikachu. Pokemon was held a number Pokemon has held a number of illustrator contests for its fans. And the prizes are special cards usually. So in 1997 and 1998, Pokemon Illustrator cards features featured the word illustrator instead of trainer, which is a huge distinction. Just 39 of these cards were given out in a single Pokemon Pikachu Illustrated card is worth $100,000, a singular card, which is insane. So, you know, these cards really blow what we think about Pokemon out of the water. It is nuts. Okay. Now, I know that was a little long winded, but I just wanted you guys to understand, you know, what these can fetch in auctions and how, uh, how that's changed over the years because. The fact that one just sold the logic for that much money is insane. Um, so let's jump into 
how do you determine, you know, you've gotten a card, you have cards, even, even some people who have cards from their childhood can have fake cards. You really can. You can get them traded. I mean, trading was such a huge thing and people would get, um, packs off eBay. They would get packs, um, from stores that are less than reputable. Um, you'd get things in the mail from people. So you could very well be busting out some fake cards at home. So uh, the cardbazaar.com.au, I'm going to be quoting a lot here because I think they did a really good job at looking over Pokemon cards. And I think they've got so many years in the backing that I would say they're the most reputable source right now. I think they did. They went through all of the um, the nuances and all of the actual intricacies of Pokemon cards to determine whether one's fake or not. Um, so let's go, let's, you know, if you have a Pokemon card on hand, that's definitely useful, but, um, all this stuff can definitely be looked at, uh, the card bizarre.com.au. So number one, uh, the back of the card. So I think that one was kind of shocking to me when I was reading it. So using the review, the reverse, which is a blue side, if you're familiar with it, it's got a Pokemon ball on it of the card is one of the best ways to identify fake Pokemon cards as around 80% of counterfeits can be spotted using this method. Fake cards often have an inconsistent reverse art. That is a different color, uh, often a lighter shade of blue to the back of a genuine card. Look at the top right of the Pokeball on a fake card, this area is often filled in with blue. However, a genuine card will always have a certain pattern featuring light blue as well as some spots of darker blue. Now this can be faked, but I think early on, um, which is, you know, where most of these cards came from, I think people didn't really see the difference in that. But now, you know, that we've looked at billions of Pokemon cards, um, I think that that's a very big spotting of those old, you know, fakeries. So number two, uh, is the font and spelling. This is true for a lot of fake things. So often fake cards make spelling mistakes or use fonts that genuine cards just don't use. So Gil Sans Standard is the um, most used font on, on real Pokemon cards as well as Futura and San Vito. So if you've got any sort of knowledge on typography, you'd be able to determine um, if those fonts. Also, if you've got them side by side, that's an easy way to do it. So Number three is the energy symbols. Fake cards often feature energy symbols in which their inner artwork is larger than it should be. So comparing this to a real card or just putting two, uh, the one in question next to a real one that's been identified is a good way to determine that. Number four is the coloring. As well as potential potentially having a reverse side that's an odd shade of blue, fake cards may be discolored on the front face as well. This may be tricky to detect, but once you've spent time looking at a genuine card, eventually you'll develop an eye for the colors that Nintendo uses. They don't really sway from that. They kept it as um, true to form as possible. On the fake card, we can see that the shade of, the shade of blue is quite different to the shade used in the genuine card. Um, same with the inner black artwork of the energy symbols of the counterfeit are much more bigger or just much bigger. And number five here, the health points uh, slash damage. So some fake cards will use unrealistic damage or health point amounts. So generally a Pokemon shouldn't have more than 300 HP and shouldn't deal more than 300 damage in a single attack. If you're not sure, do a Google image search of your card. Make sure to type in the number found in the bottom right of the card um, in the format XXXXXX. So three, three, as well as the Pokemon's name to ensure that you find an exact image of your exact card. 
So there's definitely ways to determine, you know, what it should look like, which is cool that they've got this stockpile of imagery. So number six, the holographic effect. Many fake cards feature an unusual holographic effect that genuine Pokemon cards do not have. Other times, the fake card will be printed with a holographic effect, even though it should have one. So um, the continuity between that, um, you know, they'll do that just to make it seem rare, even though it's fake. It's something that was never put out by Pokemon itself. So number seven is the light test. Many fake cards let through a lot of light when a torch is shined directly behind them. Before trying this, take a known genuine card and see how much light passes through it to establish a benchmark. So they are thicker than most of the cards that are you know, given by fake, so you can just feel it, really. Uh, so number eight is actually the card material. So fake cards often feel quite different to genuine cards. Try bending the potential fake slightly or rub the surface of your finger across the card and then do the same with a genuine card. In addition, fake cards are also prone to wearing very easily, so watch out for this. So they were built for longevity. They were built for quality. The fake ones are not going to hold that same value. So there are some potential false flags. So occasionally there may be an instance where a genuine card exhibits a feature similar to one of the signs of a fake card we have just mentioned. So we're going to look at some of those things to look out for just in case you're, you know, you do have a very rare card, but maybe there's some things um, that are different that may, you know, represent a false flag. So disproportionate borders. Pokemon sometimes miscut their cards. So while they try to be as high quality as possible, there has been miscuts um, resulting in a slightly larger yellow border on the side of the card. This does not necessarily mean that the card is fake though. So I would look out for that. Make sure the other things we talk about are there um, before you completely rule it out as being false or um, fake. So promo cards, often promotional cards have different features to normal cards. For example, they may have been stamped graphics or maybe an oversight. So they didn't spend a tremendous amount of time on these promotional cards because they were kind of quick out um, to the public. So look for a black star near the card artwork or in the right you know, corner of the card. So misprints, very occasionally, Pokemon makes mistakes when printing their cards. It is something that came from Japan to English. So this was particularly common during the the earlier prints, uh, such as the base set. For example, Vulpix 68102 from the base set in some prints runs was, uh, or some print runs, was printed with HP 50 with... um, with like less or yeah. So it was printed with HP 50 instead of 50 HP. These errors are quite rare, but the ones that do exist are well known. So people kind of know about these misprints ahead of time. They're very famous. I think the fact that they are so famous says that it doesn't happen very often. So therefore, if you're unsure, be sure to Google your car to determine it was a rare printing error or the mistake of a counterfeit producer. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, thank you, uh, to the card bazaar for this article. I think it was really, really well uh, written. I think it was great. Um, And again, guys, if you want to see some pictures, go to that website. And I think uh, it was very, you know, informative. So if you are in the Pokemon card market right now, I would say definitely check it out. Um, But guys, that is actually it for this episode. I know it's a it's actually a 26-minute episode, so it was a pretty good episode. I think there was a lot to touch on with this, and the fact that people are getting more into it, I think this needed to be done. So, guys, um, we do have a Facebook page um, called Faked Podcast. You guys are welcome to comment on things there. I'm going to try to put more pictures up and things like that, but um, remember to subscribe to us on 
Podbean, um, just so we can get kind of a count of how many people listen. And this will obviously be uh, always free and available for people. So remember, with faked items, there are those who produce them, those who purchase them, and those that listen to this podcast. I'll see you in the next episode.